welcome to the Jew 3 Project podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fields. I'm the founder of the Jew 3 Project. Well, thank you for listening to another episode of the Jew 3 Project. Um, as always, I'm your host, Lisa Fields, the founder of the Jude 3 Project. And today I'm going to be interviewing uh, Pastor Cameron Triggs. He's no stranger to the Jude 3 Project. Actually, he's been with us since the beginning <laughs> and a board member. So he's definitely uh, uh, help, helping us build the foundation for the Jude 3 Project. So, so grateful for him and his wife. They are very, very good friends of mine. Um so for those who haven't heard, welcome Pastor Triggs. Thank you so much, Prophetess Lisa. Um, <laughs> I'm very glad to be here and uh, just encouraged to be a part of this work and uh, to serve. And uh, and uh, I'm looking forward to our discussion today and uh, just kind of sharing my testimony and all those different aspects of what makes me passionate about apologetics and defending the faith. Awesome. Y'all got to stop calling me prophet. You're going to think I'm like really charismatic and I go around prophesying. It's the truth. <laughs> don't, don't, I never prophesy to people, people who are listening. Um, Disclaimer. <laughs> well, I guess if you call prophesying, proclaiming the word, I right. do proclaim the word. So I guess in that term, but not in the charismatic term and you need to change your facebook name now the prophetess lisa fields yeah uh, if that's the case <laughs> no i'm good i think okay. it's gonna stay the same <laughs> no titles in front just lisa goes perfectly so um cam for those um who know you and those who obviously well for those who don't know you and those who know you tell us a little bit about the your early life as cam tricks before you added the reverend onto it <laughs> yeah sure um you know i kind of had a uh nominal christian experience growing up i would say i did not grow up in the church i'm not a church kid i'm not a pk uh, anything like that um kind of i grew up in a single parent household my mom was a hard worker and loved my sister and i um Two years old, she drove and uh, got away from different particular life circumstances, and uh, we just ended up in Jacksonville uh, by the providence of God. It's actually how I ended up here. Um, did not go to church for the most part on a regular basis. Uh, we were CEO Christians probably at best, Christmas, Easter only, um, maybe random Sundays. Uh, uh, so, you know, uh, wasn't a church kid with no, no Sunday school experience. Every now and then I would visit with a friend, family, friends who may have had a church experience. And so my upbringing was, uh, I would say, fairly secular, uh, to say the least. I was drawn to um, different male figures, um, negative, negative and positive, because uh, I didn't have a father figure in my life. And so I was very drawn to hip hop culture, drawn to um, figures like Tupac. I was drawn to just the hip hop phenomenon and, and what you could do with words and beats and all those different type of things. And I was into sports and looked up to Michael Jordan. So I was trying to find an identity and what it meant to be a man and um, really couldn't find that identity. Didn't really have a a lot of godly Christian male influences, even in my immediate family. Mm -hmm. And so uh, 
particular circumstances, I kind of uh, began to learn uh, through God's common grace, just instilling me what I didn't want to be mm-hmm. um, from negative influences. I knew I did. I didn't want to be a, a man who ran away from my family. I knew I didn't want to be in jail. I know I didn't want to be involved in drugs. Um, and so I kind of have some positive ambitions. And of course, uh, just like any other person, you know, we're a walking uh, contradiction. I was a hypocrite in a lot of ways. And uh, so, you know, I was a sinner and I, I needed God's grace. And um, through God's providence, um, my mom made me go to a school of the arts uh, for middle school and for high school. And uh, I didn't want to do it, but she really was, uh, you know, very adamant that I, I got a proper education in uh, public school. Uh, was definitely our option at that time, but a school of the arts was better than a lot of the other options I would have been available towards. And uh, I ended up learning guitar. And uh, from me learning guitar, I had a lot of friends who were cultural Christians, kind of grew up in the black church. And I saw that they were getting paid every Sunday by playing (laughs) in church. And I was like, man, that's a sweet gig. All I got to do is show up to a rehearsal and show up on Sunday and I get paid. I need to learn how to play this gospel music. And uh, that's how I ended up going to church on a regular basis. And uh, long story short, there was a security guard at my school named Alonzo Jones. He was an organist, began to talk to me, mentor me, uh, finally ended up sharing the gospel. And of course, I was attending uh, African-American church and uh, the uh, pastor there, Ernie Murray, was faithfully closing with the cross and the gospel presentation. And I just had this fear. I had this angst. Um, of what would happen to me if I die. I knew I was a sinner. I knew I fell short. And uh, I knew that, you know, if God judged me according to his law, and his standards, um, I may lift my eyes up in hell. And I wanted a relationship with Jesus Christ. So at the age of 17, first time actually hearing Jesus Christ died for my sins, that Jesus Christ wanted a relationship with me. As I said, I've been to church, but I did not hear the gospel presentation. And it came through a personal invitation through a mentor, somebody who reached out to me, and it came through faithful proclamation in African-American church, and uh, 17 is when I gave my life to the Lord. Amen, that's awesome. Pastor Murray actually was my neighbor growing up. Oh, yeah, yeah, uh uh-huh, yeah. (laughs) He always walks. Right, uh, he's always in, uh, uh, a lot of people in the community know him, Um, he's been a faithful pastor for decades, and, and like I said, um, the brother preaches the cross and, uh, it's, it's through his preaching that I became familiar with the scriptures and became familiar with, uh, Jesus Christ dying for us and, and rising on the third day. Amen. I think he always ends like that too. Yeah. And ain't nothing wrong with that either. Yeah. So next time I, I come here, you preach, I want to hear you at the cross, but I want oh. you to do it the way, uh, Pastor Murray did it. <laughs> hey, I'm gonna get to the cross in the beginning. I'm gonna get to it in the middle, and I'm gonna get to it at the end. So, um, how was your? I know after you, um, you left after you went to um, after high school, you went to UCF, correct? Yes, correct. And did you start off? I know you studied religion. Did you start off as a um, religious studies major? No, I actually didn't. Um, I, University of Central Florida was actually the only college um, I applied to. Actually, I applied to FAMU as well. But mm-hmm. by the time I got my acceptance letter from FAMU, um, I was already accepted into University of Central Florida. They gave me scholarship money. 
Um, I had a place to stay. I had a potential job. And so my my mind was pretty much set. And I, I was lazy. I was a lazy senior. So I, did, I, I put in two applications and I picked from those two, those only places I I picked from. Um, and so I had a pretty good basis of uh, pretty good basics in education. Um, I had a 4.1 GPA when I was graduating from high school. And so I had scholarships and I had money that was given to me. I was really getting paid to go to school. And so I went to University of Central Florida. Uh, I started off wanting to do um, something in a um, digital media, but that uh, major got canceled at the time. So I switched to political science. Um, but during that time, um, it's real, I really got strengthened in my uh, walk with the Lord and in discipleship. Um, I, I really messed up because I didn't have uh, deep discipleship, deep relationships that were teaching me how to walk in the Lord. And so I almost got sent home my first semester in college oh, wow. at UCF. Um, yeah, that letter came in the mail and uh, <laughs> said, uh, you know, uh, I lost a couple of scholarships. Um, I lost a lot of opportunities and I was on academic probation. And it's really through that time I really began to turn to the Lord, turn to an on-campus um, Bible study. Uh, got it connected with the church called Antioch in Orlando and heard uh, biblical exposition. And uh, I, I, I was a political science major. I wanted to do law. I wanted to go to somewhere like Howard and uh, do law school and get involved in civil rights law. But uh, I just felt that calling. And uh, even though I didn't grow up in church, the interesting thing is I would always have people tell me I was going to be a preacher. I was going to be a writer. Mm-hmm. Um, ironically, one time my mom and I were going to a, a bakery. And I opened the door for an older lady, and she said to me, there goes my preacher. And uh, my mom, she was a prophetess. <laughs> uh, she might have been your grandma, uh, Lisa. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but, um, you know, she, she and my mom looked kind of uh, confounded, and she just said, you know, a lot of times older people have intuition, but it's still a vibrant memory in my mind. And I felt like, you know, um, I didn't know what a preacher was. I didn't know um, how how preachers lived. I didn't know if they were paid by the church. And so even at UCF, I thought that me following the call of ministry was a vow of poverty. Um, and I didn't want to do that, but I finally, you know, gave up all my comfort and said, I'm going to go ahead and uh, switch from political science to religious studies. And from there, prepare myself for seminary and ministry and surrender to the call. Um, during my time at University of Central Florida and ended up finishing doing religious studies. So how was your, I never asked you this, how was your experience doing religion, religious studies at UCF? Because I know my experience from you at UNF was, I tell a story all the time, it was never like really ex- an exciting experience. It was actually quite horrible, but it led right. me to Jude 3. So I guess yeah. that's a good thing. How was, was your experience? It was, um, have you seen uh, God's Not Dead, the movie? I haven't seen it. And I okay. feel like I should have seen it being in my, uh, <laughs> what I do for a living. Well, they based that movie on my life. Um, I was the, per- no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but really it was similar to, to that movie it was uh i would say it was very antagonistic towards the christian religion um uh, or let me say this and towards um my version of the christian religion towards my evangelical understanding of taking the bible as uh, uh, a serious literal interpretation um believing that jesus christ is exclusive in his claims of being the truth the way in the life and i would say it was very antagonistic towards that um i had a pastors who um 
fell away from the faith and became professors and were uh, very uh, hardened about what the Christian religion was. I had Hindu professors. I had Buddhist professors. I had atheist professors. Um, and religious studies is very interdisciplinary. And so even taking philosophy classes during my time there, I would say I would have I had maybe one conservative Christian who uh, really believed in God and believed um what the Bible says, and that was in the problem of evil. And that was my last class I took at UCF. Mm-hmm. And so um, it really challenged me in my faith. I remember one time it was on the eve of Halloween, and uh, my professor came in dressed as a pirate and uh, just uh, was going in on all the Christians and uh, talking about uh, discrepancies and the genealogy of Jesus Christ and how can it be the son of David if he's born of a virgin? He was really never Joseph's son. And just trying to really um, shake up everybody's faith. And, you know, I, I got into um, a discussion with him and was pushing back. And I would say from there, I began to prepare myself for class discussions. I began to pair, prepare myself for challenges. I would write all my papers on the Christian faith, proving Jesus Christ's existence, uh, proving uh, uh, how the Dead Sea Scrolls increased our um, our uh, idea of reliability in the scripture. And uh, it was through there um, I picked up an apologetic study Bible and saw a uh, article written by John Frame. And he, he taught at Reformed Theological Seminary Orlando, which was right in my backyard going to University of Central Florida. And I ended up applying to RTS and said, I want to learn from this guy. I want to study with him. I want to take every course that he teaches. And uh, that's how I ended up at uh, Reformed Theological Seminary. Awesome. So what um, what was the most challenging thing in that experience? Uh, you know, the most challenging um aspect of that experience um i wouldn't say it was uh primarily intellectual um a lot of times you come up against intellectual um obstacles and you can think through them and you can uh place your faith in what you do not know about god and by what you already do know about him Mm -hmm. um but i i say the deepest thing was really existential was in my heart and it was really just questioning myself um, you know, how much am I willing to um, put my trust in that Jesus Christ died for my sins and that he rose from the dead? Uh, it was a very deep existential struggle in me realizing that I have a relationship um, with God and my, my relationship with God is not limited to my intellectual understanding of him. I can know God, but he's inexhaustible. Mm-hmm. And uh, and for me, you know, it was really just believing if Jesus rose from the dead, then that's a game changer. Mm-hmm. If I believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead with all power, then, yeah, I, a, ta- a talking snake really isn't uh, uh, something for me to make a logical leap. Uh, uh, Moses um, and the miracle of the splitting of the Red Sea isn't a big logical leap. A donkey speaking isn't a big logical leap because I believe in something way more preposterous than that, that a man claimed to be God, was crucified, rose from the dead and gave me eternal life. Mm-hmm. And if I really grasp that aspect in my heart, I kind of had set presuppositions that was going to carry me through any other um, intellectual obstacle I was going to uh, face. And so it was really me trusting in that, believing in that. And it really renewed my faith in a sense um, to know that, man, this is a relationship and I'm walking with a living God who defeated death, sin and Satan on my behalf. 
and I can trust him through any any obstacle I might face in the classroom. Amen. Yeah, once you get a grasp on like this is God, I'm reading Genesis devotionally right now. And <clears throat> if you believe that he created the world right uh from nothing, then nothing in the scripture seems mm-hmm. beyond um beyond his ability. Right. Um, yeah. So I think that's I mean, if you start with this is God who can do anything, then the rest of the stuff isn't as problematic once you right. kind of settle that in your heart. And um, it really pushed me to um, in the Gospels uh, when Jesus really uh, doubled down on his disciples and was telling him, telling them, you know, you're going to have to eat my flesh and my blood. And a lot of people left after hearing that. Right. And then he turns to his disciples and he says, are you guys going to leave me also? And Peter turns to him and says, where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. Mm-hmm. And um, that was my experience. You know, there's nowhere else for me to go. And it starts with that basis um, that God is creator. God is in control. And to me, even from a logical standpoint, it's way more logical for me to believe that there is going to be a heaven, that there will be um, a wipe a wiping away of every tear that every wrong will be made right. And if I'm left with this naturalistic um, philosophy, if I'm left with this autonomous reason, I don't have anything to stand on. I don't have anything to reason on. I don't have anything to hope for. And it, it really turned me to say, man, where else can I go, God, but to you? Where else can I, I turn to but to you? And, and uh, me trusting in my, my, my present and me just trusting that you'll meet me in my future. So, yeah, it was it was huge for me. Amen. What was the role of um, Christian hip hop in your discipleship? Because I know you said Tupac was a big um, influence on you growing up. And I know that during your college days, you were in a Christian hip hop group and you were known as Red Letter, correct? (laughs) (laughs) You're doing all this research and airing my dirty laundry. Um, Yeah, people aren't supposed to know know that. I know that because... Tamara told me that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I was actually part of a Christian hip hop group. Uh, ironically, I was not a fan of Christian hip hop when I first became a Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was lame. I thought the beats were lame. I thought, you know, they were very limited in their scope that uh, the topics they could talk about. Um, and it was at UCF. I really got exposed to Lecrae, Reach Records, um, Flame, The Truth and all of these other great artists that really captivated my um, imagination and kind of drew me into the culture of Christian hip hop or holy hip hop. Um, And I I began to, you know, uh, really dive into a lot of their lyrics. A lot of it was uh, very sound doctrinal content. Um, You think about, uh, I know this is your testimony too, uh, Flames uh, Rewind album Mm -hmm. and uh, him talking about hermeneutics Mm -hmm. and talking about how to break down the scripture Um, You look at the Truths album, The Big Picture, which is really uh, a redemptive history overview uh, from Genesis all the way to Revelation, Mm -hmm. what the big picture is of the Bible. Um, You look at Lecrae's album, Rebel, which is really a doctrine of the Christian life and how we're supposed to live as uh, uh, in this counterculture as Christians um, rebelling against what the world and Satan would have for us. And so I was getting all of this doctrine through Christian hip hop and was drawn to it and um, actually ended up helping uh, promote uh, a Christian 
concert, uh, just a volunteer, um, passing out flyers, doing anything I could help with the organization called Kingdom Promotions. Um, Nehemiah Weaver was uh, putting that on, and uh, man, he was doing a great job in promoting concerts, and I just joined in and wanted to help, and was just volunteering, and from there, uh, Don't Waste Your Life Tour at that time was giving away um, books called Don't Waste Your Life by John Piper. And I got that. I started reading that. And I just I was like, man, there's something very different about this, um, something very different about what he's saying uh, from what I've heard from a lot of people. And I went to his website, Desiring God, and saw that all his sermons were free and <laughs> saw that all of, all the things that he was giving away. And from there, um, John Piper's had a, a uh, just a dramatic influence on my life. It was a game changer for me. And so it was really a gateway uh, for me to get into theology. And uh, from John Piper, I started reading R.C. Sproul, started reading um, John MacArthur and uh, all kinds of other um, theologians. And it, it, it was a gateway uh, for me into doctrine and to sound theology. So Christian hip hop had a huge influence on me, big time influence. And um I kind of utilized that as an outreach while I was on, uh, on campus. Uh, we started that rap group not because we were trying to make it big. We were actually horrible artists. Uh, <laughs> we would show up to concerts without any business cards, and we would show up without anything, uh, no CDs. We just did it as a fellowship, and we did it to help build uh, relationships with other people. And uh, it was a great way for me to get relationships to help uh, disciple other guys and get them into the same doctrinal truths I was finding out about. And so that's how we really got into that. And uh, I'm, I'm grateful for this movement of Christian hip hop. And I just pray that God would continue to increase that platform for the church and, and for uh, his kingdom. Amen. Amen. So as you are going through undergrad, um, I know you got involved with Antioch and you were their um, young adult director. Is that the proper title? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Young adult president. Um, served as young adult president. I did youth ministry, um, taught Sunday school with youth and teenagers, and uh, was part of an on-campus ministry called Men of Valor during that time. Awesome, awesome. So walk us through your transition to seminary. How was that journey? <clears throat> that, that journey was um, very interesting. It was a time where I really trusted God because – um, as you know, many evangelical seminaries don't take financial aid or don't do grants. Mm -hmm. And uh, I didn't know how I was going to pay for it at all. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, through God's providence, it was just so interesting at Antioch. It was one of the young adult meetings. The uh, a mission counselor at that time named Tom Nell came and gave a presentation. And I was just intrigued. I kind of already had it in my mind. I wanted to go there because of John Frame's writings. Mm -hmm. And uh talked to him and kind of built a relationship. And I found out about this program called Reformed Blacks of America. Mm -hmm. um, some people may be familiar with uh, Reformed African American Network, RAN. Um, it was kind of like a uh, uh, RAN, um, but a little bit earlier. And it was a program at RTS Orlando that was kind of a symposium for um, African American scholars to gather and read material outside the typical evangelical curriculum. So we were reading uh, Dolores Williams, James Cone, um, reading all these things uh, in terms of black liberation theology, feminist theology. And uh, by me getting incorporated with that program, I got a full ride mm -hmm. at Reform uh, Theological Seminary and God opened up a door. 
and uh, found out I had that, and I was able to go and get my theological education. Amen. That's awesome. Yeah. So, so. after you graduated from seminary, um, where did you land, for those who don't know? Oh, yeah, that's another interesting story. It's just really, you know, stepping out on faith, I just encourage anybody, um, man, just trust God and take risk for the glory of God because um, you don't really know how it's going to work out. Um, God is always doing above what we can think, ask, or imagine. Mm-hmm. And, uh, man, I went to Reformed Theological Seminar- Se- Seminary. And for those who don't know, going to a, a predominantly white evangelical seminary as an African-American, you kind of take some cultural risk, I would say, because, uh, number one, Reformed Theological Seminary was a part of the uh, PCA, so it's a Presbyterian-oriented um, seminary. It's uh, interdenominational. Different people from denominations come there, but their ties are very much so Presbyterian. Um, I'm Baptist by conviction and understanding, so there was um, a little bit of difficulty of me getting placement from a denominational level mm-hmm. and then also from a cultural level um, because I'm at a uh, predominantly white institution and I have a heart for the African-American church or um, what we would call multi-ethnic church. Um, and so it was difficult for me to get placement and I didn't really know what I was going to do. Um, I did some things on the side. I, I taught American history. I worked for a nonprofit um, but my my heart's desire was to be um, serving as a pastor. And through God's uh, providence, I went to a Ligonier conference that is a ministry ran by R.C. Sproul. And uh, I was t- I took a brother with uh, with me and uh, we were getting on the shuttle. And uh, as we were getting on the shuttle, there was a. Uh, 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 a brother that was behind us and he just said hello and we began to talk and come to find out he was the pastor of Shiloh Metropolitan Church um, in H.B. Uh, Charles Jr. And we just began to talk from there, exchange numbers and long story short, um, within a, a couple of months from there, I became the youth pastor at Shiloh Metropolitan Baptist Church uh, by me forging that uh, what would seem random, but definitely was the hand of God, um, uh, created that relationship with Pastor H.B. Charles Jr. And I've been serving here of the three years uh, in April 2016. Amen. Amen. Yeah. And during that time, you've met, well, no, you met Ty years ago. I'm talking about. I like, did, yeah. Her at Shallow. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> How has that experience been a husband and a father? Well, it's definitely a learning experience. I'm learning so much about God. I'm learning so much about myself, learning a lot about my wife, uh, learning a lot about what it means to be a father. And um, I honestly could not do anything in ministry without my wife's support. Um, she's just been a tremendous uh, encouragement. Um it will be married two years in April as well. And so we're still newlyweds, but um, I'm already learning uh, that the Holy Spirit and my wife sound a lot alike. And so uh, <laughs> God is using my wife as an excellent tool of sanctification, um, meaning that he's using her to help me look more and more like Jesus. 
And um, every day I'm trying to make a commitment to help do the same um, as I try to lead my family as a prophet, priest and king. And I'm just I'm just thankful. And we just had our first son. He was born in April. He'll be one in April as well. So as you can see, April is a busy month for us. Um, And uh, I'm very grateful um, to have my first son and all the blessings that come with that. And uh, children are truly a blessing from the Lord. And I I just didn't know that much joy can come from a family life. And so increasingly more so, Lisa, I would say I'm trying to be a better uh, husband and a, a better father than I am a pastor because I know I can't be a great pastor without having those things in place. Amen. And uh, I love Ty. That's one of my closest friends. And I love baby Cam as well, even though he spit up on me. Yeah, Um, he does. (laughs) (laughs) Little uh, known fact, people probably don't know, Lisa was in our wedding. And uh, you um, didn't prophesy or anything like that. But uh, you came to our wedding. You were a great support. And you're a great family friend with us. And uh, we're grateful for your friendship as well. Thank you. Thank you. I even bought uh, Baby Cam a little shirt that said, Lisa is uh, my mom's coolest friend. Yes, you did. Yeah. They thought I was joking, but it really happened. (laughs) (laughs) When it got delivered, they were like, oh, she really bought this. Um, Yes, I think highly of myself as a friend, so that's probably why. (laughs) As you should. Humble brag. Um, (laughs) So, um, enough about your life. Mm-hmm. Pastor Triggs, uh, tell us a little bit about why you're passionate about apologetics. So, I, I, for me, it's really um, twofold, and it relates to my testimony I just shared. I believe that um, apologetics, um, the discipline of defending the faith, is essential. Number one for the next generation. Um, so, I'm a youth pastor now, serve as a youth pastor, but my exposure to apologetics. Um, when God opened my eyes of its uh, crucial need for the body of Christ was on a college campus. Um, I was a freshman and I repeatedly saw people walk into their humanities class. I saw people walk into philosophy 101. I saw people walk into their world religions class and get their Christian faith shook to the foundation. Mm-hmm. And for me, Uh, I think it's pivotal. There's no such thing as youth ministry, young adult ministry, next generation ministry that does not have an apologetic emphasis. Mm -hmm. And for us to talk about what does it mean to win this generation? um, What does it mean for this generation to have the responsibility of discipling down? It has to have an apologetic thrust. We have to be answering the questions that students and young adults are being faced with, and it's increasingly becoming uh, more postmodern. It's increasingly becoming more irreligious or sacrilegious, and I think we have to know what we believe. We have to know why we believe it. We have to know why Freud is essential. We have to know why James Cone is essential. We have to know um, why um, people think the way they think so that we can help students navigate through all of these different obstacles that they face in the hallways and the locker rooms, um, because the truth is this generation doesn't want to leave their brain at the door when they come to church. Mm-hmm. Um, they want to be stimulated intellectually. And I believe that if they can learn calculus, they can learn biology, um, they can learn 
theology and apologetics. And so that's really my heart's desire to see this next generation be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I, I believe that cannot be done if we don't have a strong apologetic emphasis and uh, really um, helping the believer think um, about all the rational aspects of the Christian faith. The second point is um, the second entry point would be, uh, of course, urban and African-American context. Mm -hmm. Um, Similar to your testimony, as I got involved in apologetics, there are very few platformed, I would say, um, black and brown scholars who are doing apologetics. They're out there. They're faithful. They're serving at some seminaries. Some of them are writing, um, not necessarily platform. And not only that, there's not necessarily a coalition of us that gather. And so I'm grateful for Jew 3 Project because this is a platform where we can gather, where we can contribute, where we can come across uh, denominational lines, where we can come across um, different geographic barriers, and we can contribute and platform ourselves about the issues that our brothers may um, be blind to, that our brothers may not be um, necessarily aware um, in other uh, cultural areas. So at Jew 3, we get to write about black Hebrew Israelites. We get to write about black liberation theology, the pros and cons of it. We get to write about all these different cults, such as the Nation of Islam. We get to talk about Islam itself and the black community. And so it's a great way for us to give exposure to the African-American church, to give exposure to the urban community, and for us to attack those issues that are attacking us. Mm -hmm. And for us to speak to those issues no one else is going to speak to because it's not their issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're not aware of it. And so those are the two entry points. Uh, when I'm uh, passionate about apologetics, I think it has to reach this generation. I think it is an avenue in which we're going to reach this generation. And I think it's an avenue in which we're going to um, edify and build up the African-American church and the urban church. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm passionate about those two aspects of apologetic ministry. Amen. And I think it's so, so important you being a youth pastor that you're you're reminding people Hey, these in in school, kids are learning calculus and Mm -hmm. they're learning um, physics, chemistry, and their their teachers don't talk to them like they're little babies. And sometimes when they get to church, they're like, "Okay, this is Daniel. Mm -hmm. And there were some lions. And Mm -hmm. it's like, why do we dumb it down as if they can't um, understand complex ideas? Exactly. Um, So I, I, I see it so much. You know, they have like pictures for them and they're talking to them like they're slow. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's kind of like, guys, just teach them the Bible. They can understand it. They go to school. Uh, Very much. Yes. So I think that's important for people to understand. Yeah. You, you wrote a, a, a great blog um, for Jude 3 um, as it relates to apologetics in the African-American um, community. Mm-hmm. What do you think is the most crucial um, well, one of the most crucial things that we need to be addressing as African-American apologists. Wow. Um, there's so much. Um, in that article, um, I talked about uh, a lot of different aspects, some that I just alluded to. Um, but I would say when I wrote that article, um, the heartbeat or the thrust of that whole article um, to me would be the sufficiency of scripture. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it is the foundation for everything that we talk about. Um, I think God's written and spoken revelation equips us 
to be defenders of the faith. It is our sword when we go to battle with other worldviews do not that do not agree with Jesus Christ. And I would say that a lot of these issues, um, whether it be um, a particular theology, whether it be a cultic um, um, movement, uh, whether it be social justice, I believe that a lot of them arise because pastors, those sitting in the pew um, at the heart level and at the practical level, we're not subscribing to the sufficiency of scripture to renew our minds and for it to shape how we view the world. And I know to some people that may seem like a cliche answer and that may seem like an answer that is really out there in the clouds. But I say at the basis of it, when we talk about any of these issues, we have to go back to what God's word says or we're lost. Mm -hmm. If it's just autonomous reason. If it's just our thoughts, if it's just our opinions, there is no way we can persuade others to take their thoughts captive to Christ. Uh, there's no way I can persuade anybody. It is the word of God, which is the sword that pierces our hearts and thoughts. It goes to the intentions of the heart. Uh, it is the word of God that really is a lamp and a light unto our path. Um, and so we need the word. Um, and so I would say if people go to that article, um, it was called a suggested agenda for African-American apologetics. The thrust of that, I didn't say it, is uh, really taking the sufficiency of scripture and making it contextual to the various issues we face in the African-American church or urban context. And that, you know, that varies on depending on what denomination you're a part of, depending on what part of the nation or world you are. But I would say at the heart we have to get back to the sufficiency of scripture, the teaching of the Bible and us just demonstrating this is a faith that was delivered to the saints by the apostles. And we have something to believe and we cannot waver on what was delivered to us. And for me, I want to be a man who takes those things that were taught to me and teach them to other men and women. So they, they may be faithful stewards of what the Bible is telling us about the testimony of Jesus Christ. Amen. I think that's, that's awesome. I totally agree with that. Um, for our, our listeners, what would you leave as your last word? Um, I want to, before that, I want to thank you for being a part of the Jew three project, you and Ty since the beginning uh, we started <laughs> it's just at uh, started from the bottom. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we still kind of at the bottom in some aspects, mm -hmm. <laughs> but I I don't think we ever imagined us being where we are this quickly. Yeah. It's really a testament of God's grace because He's actually the one leading and guiding. I just am amazed at what He's doing. Um, so thank you, thank you, and Tamara for um being with me on this journey and helping me so much. I don't know what I would do without you guys. So I thank God for, um, partnering, um, us together. So mm -hmm. it was, our, it's our pleasure. It really is. And baby cam, we'll get him on a little Jude, the Jude three staff once he can yeah. walk. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what would you like to leave with our listeners? Um, I would like to encourage our listeners, um, don't don't merely be spectators um, in this endeavor. Um, 
for those who are listening to the podcast, uh, for those who are encouraged by Jew three project, I just want to encourage them. Um, don't take this knowledge and just sit on it on a week to week basis. Um, I encourage our listeners to be participators in this movement. Um, I don't know what that means for every person, but whether it's sharing your faith at your job, whether it's mentoring a youth at your local school, whether it's getting involved in justice issues that's in your community, um, perhaps it's contributing to our blog, contributing to the conversation, sharing this with somebody else. But um, we're doing this so that you can join with the movement. This is your movement. This is your opportunity to take part in apologetics ministry. It's their ministry just as much as it is ours. And so I just encourage them, don't be spectators. Participate in any way that you can and help us join this because it's going to take co-belligerence for us to really fight this uh, fight of faith and uh, promote the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. And Cam will be um, in January. We start our Courageous Conversation series. And if you want to learn more, go to www.jew3project.com backslash Courageous Convo. And um, or you could go on our Facebook page and there's a link there. But Cam actually will be talking to um, Pastor Willie Francois um, from New York, Harlem, New York. And um, they're going to be talking about black liberation theology. And so um, he will be able to, uh, I mean, you will be able to hear him talk about uh, black liberation theology. He has um, studied it thoroughly and um, Pastor Willie has as well. Um, Basically, the purpose of Courageous Conversations is to build dialogue between people, African-American thinkers that went to um, conservative and liberal seminaries and or divinity schools. So Cam went to RTS, um, Willie went to Harvard. And so um, if you if you know anything about how seminary divinity schools work, uh, Harvard and RTS are completely different yeah. <laughs> as far as teaching goes. So I, I think it'll be an interesting conversation. They're going to be part one. We have some other scholars and thinkers um, for the series. So I'm excited about it. And you'll get to see not just hear our voices, you'll get to see our faces for this series. So I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a great, great, great discussion. Uh, and I'm looking forward for us actually um, discussing with those uh, issues that we may disagree about. But um, I, I think we just serve each other better when we don't do straw men um, arguments and characterizations. Mm-hmm. And so I'm learning. Uh, I'm looking forward to learning, number one. And I'm looking forward to uh, really uh, building relationships uh, through this series uh, called Courageous Conversations. And uh, I think it's a noble idea. And I hope that our, our listeners really support it. Amen. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Jude 3 Project podcast. You can catch all our past episodes at www.jude3project.com backslash podcast. You can follow us on iTunes by searching Jude 3 Project. Also, you can follow us on Twitter at Jude 3 Project, on Instagram at Jude 3 Project, and on Facebook at facebook.com 
um, backslash Jude 3 Project. And remember, you can donate on our site. So if this um, this podcast and this ministry is a blessing to you, help support us financially um, by going on our website at Jude3Project.com and hitting the donate tab um, and donating. Consider donating to us. Thank you so much. Remember, at the Jude 3 Project, we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it.